uh, as we gather around God's word, let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. It is light to our light path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this morning. Amen and amen. Um, well, today as we uh, enter into the uh, into the, 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 the this new year, uh, we uh, need to come back to something as of our, our basic principles. As Christians, first and foremost, we are disciples of Jesus. Uh, we follow him. I don't know if you've seen uh, this uh, mini-series. It's an online mini-series. Um, something's gone wrong. Is the stream still working? Uh, I can't see anything, Jill. There you go. That's better. Thank you. Sorry, my monitor's been completely, completely blank for a second. Okay, let me go back to this series. It's an online mini-series called The Chosen... And, and it's worth a watch. It's a dramatization and an interpretation of the backstory of the 12 disciples. And of course, within that story, uh, we hear Jesus say to, to Peter and to Andrew and to Matthew and all the others, they, he says, follow me. And as Christians, uh, we have heard that same call. Uh, figuratively speaking, we pack up our bags, we gather together the whole of our lives, our work, our career, our family, our wealth, our sense of purpose, our passion, our direction. We gather everything that is us and we place them in the hands of Jesus and we say, lead on, we will follow you. We are your disciples. We are apprentices of Jesus with a desire to learn, not only to be informed by him, but formed by him, by his way, his truth and his life. And if that sounds like the basics of being a Christian, then that's exactly what we're doing. Over the next few weeks, here at the beginning of 2021, we're going to spend some time looking at the basic shape of what it means to be students of Jesus. Those main things that we not only need to learn, but absorb and practice. Uh, discipleship one as one, as the Spirit of Jesus leads us on into this unknown year. And so we're going to be revisiting some, some big basic things, creation and goodness and sin and, and the human predicament. We're going to look at why Israel and the Old Testament matters to us in the here and now. We're going to learn about Jesus and the cross and how our identity is wrapped up in his resurrection, which is at the center of history. And, and some of what we learn may be new to you, and some of it may feel like you're being dragged back into Sunday school, but that's okay. Uh, what we, whatever we learn or whatever we revisit, it's good to be reminded of that. And over the next few weeks, there's going to be a different speaker each week, and right up front, I want to invite you uh, to be uh, interacting with each speaker and with each topic as we come to it. Whether you're the sort of person who was like me when I was in, in school, used to sit at the back and ask the annoying questions, or whether you're the sort of person who, who sits in quiet and mulls over, the, over things by yourself, we'd love to hear from you. And depending on what we receive, uh, we'll turn them into uh, Q&A videos, or they may just become the, the topic of a COVID-safe coffee and chat, but we'd love to hear from you uh, with your questions and your thoughts about the different things uh, that we need to do and look at over these next few weeks. But where do we begin today? Um, the thought I have is this. If our call to follow Jesus is to be real, uh, then it has to be personal. Uh, 
It has to matter to you. And, and, and it has to meet you deeply in your sense of who you are and what your life is about. There's a sense that God leads us on a personal spiritual journey. But for it to be real, it also has to be bigger than us. Otherwise, we're just staring into the, to the repeating mirrors of our own soul. It's not just a personal reality, this following of Jesus. It's a shared calling. It's a common ground, something that we can join in with together. And it has to make sense in the world outside of ourselves. Following Jesus is both a subjective and an objective pursuit. And that's what we expect. If we look again at the disciples, the ones who are with Jesus when he was physically present on earth, each one of them was personally encountered by Jesus in a very deep and life-changing way. But he also gathered them into a shared hope, a shared mission, and a more universal understanding of what it's all about. And it's that understanding that I want to grapple with today. How do we know the truths that are both deeply personal to us and also align with what we know about God, ourselves, and the wider world. And if we know anything about how hum humans work, those truths all depend on the stories that we tell, on the narratives that we share, and what we say to each other about how this world works. So what do I mean by this? Stories are important, you see. Someone said to me quite recently, I just want to go and live in Narnia. I just want to go and live in Narnia. It was almost a throwaway line, but with that simple sentence, this person brought a whole world with her. And for those of us who have read the Narnia books, we know the fictional land that she speaks of, and it conjures up some deep and meaningful stories. Think of a land with ancient roots that go down to Aslan singing and talking beasts that forget who they are until they are called back by faithful children or trees that can dance with the joy of simply being. I just want to be in Narnia. It's a simple phrase, but it brings a whole world. And I knew what this person meant. The story said something. Here's another question for you. Are you a... Oops. Can you put it on the next slide for me, Andy? Here's the question for you. Are you a Gryffindor or are you a Hufflepuff? Are you a Slytherin or a Ravenclaw? What, what, when the sorting hat asks you which house you want to be in, what will you say? Now, you may not be a part of the generation that grew up with Hermione and Ron and that Harry guy, but for many, these questions are full of meaning. And they come in with legends and lore that informs their sense of identity and the truth of how the world works. Can you see how stories matter? 
A generation has explored the land of muggles and wizards and sometimes when they've run out of things to wonder about, they go to the author J.K. Rowling and they ask her, tell us some more story, give us some more truth. Can you see how this works? Fictional worlds, fictional stories inform us. We are narrative souls. Our sense of knowing, our sense of identity, our very culture revolves around the stories that we tell ourselves. But it's not just about fiction. In Australia at the moment, the national anthem has had a line changed from Australians all let us rejoice for we are young and free. And the line has been changed to, for we are one and free. Why? Because it shifts the story. The story of Australia used to be about a young white nation trying to make its mark in the world. But now the stories we want to tell incorporate the truth that the Aboriginal culture is one of the most ancient on the planet. And speaking of stories... The ways in which the indigenous people of Australia have weathered the trauma and crisis of colonisation is by telling their story. Tales of the dream time that interpret the land for them and that roots and grounds them in their identity. We, when we think about the importance of story, we need to think about things like the adopted child who is compelled to find the story of their birth parents to know where they've come from. It's a longing for the narrative that defines their deep truth and identity. And we can think about how narrative is misused. At the heart of propaganda and manipulation is an attempt to shift our defining stories. Keep telling the story about how a certain ethnic group is responsible for the woes of your world and you won't need to keep, keep it going for long because it will get a life of its own until there is breaking glass and lynchings and even a holocaust. Every attempt to redefine language is an attempt to seize back the narrative for better or for worse, sometimes to bring freedom and sometimes to assert control. This is the power of story, of narrative. It's the building blocks of truth, the understanding of what we call epistemology, our understanding of how we know things. Narrative is the raw material of truth and culture. To be a disciple of Jesus then is to be captured by his story, to know him as the way of truth and life. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be captured by the narrative that he defines and in which he is the main character. For us to be disciples is to share that narrative world, which is not a fictional one, but, and not a manipulative one of propaganda, but a story of reality, a story of history, a story in which we can find ourselves in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all of that brings us to our reading today. In this reading we had that, that Chris read for us, we have a letter from Jesus' friend Peter. And Peter is writing to his Christian brothers and sisters. And he writes to, he writes to inspire them, to teach them as fellow disciples. 
And he does that by reminding them of the story of Jesus. He wants them to inhabit Jesus' narrative world and to pass that on from generation to generation, even after he's gone. Look at what he says. He says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and you have been established in the truth of them, I'm going to remind you of them. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, and I know I'll be putting that tent aside soon. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things, these stories. For we did not follow propaganda, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Real stories, truthful stories, truthful accounts about Jesus are there to define Peter's discipleship, the discipleship of Peter's brothers and sisters, and on and on throughout the ages. Peter is drawing his friends into that truthful narrative framework. He's doing for them what Jesus did for him, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded as if they had lived and breathed with the master himself. And they pass it on and they pass it on. From generation to generation, the people of God have passed on what we have called the apostolic tradition which sounds highfalutin, but all it means is the passing on of the story. And the original apostles even wrote the stories down for us, because this is our story too. We can know our roots, our truth, and our world. And it's not just Peter's eyewitness account that we can receive. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John, the stories of Jesus walking on this, in this world. They tell about Jesus' life, death and resurrection, but Peter is eager to pass on to us not just his witness, but the whole backstory as well. And so he commends to his friends the narrative world of the Jewish Torah, our Old Testament, with all its character arcs and origin stories and, and encounters with the ways of God. Sometimes the Old Testament can feel dry and dusty and more like the Silmarillion than the Hobbit for those who know the world of Tolkien. But here is truth, our truth. Peter says this, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in the dark place. You must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about just from the prophet's own interpretation of things. It's come as if spoken from God as those prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Draw all this together, that backstory and the story of Jesus. And what we have is the point and place of this book, the Bible, in our discipleship. The Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. It is crucial and foundational and essential to our following of Jesus. It gives us our world, our narrative world, our truth. But I'm well aware that our attitude towards this book can be complex. 
Like all powerful words, it can be misused and even turned in on itself to become a tool of propaganda and control. And its reputation has suffered a bit from caricature. I remember growing up being told that this was God's little instruction book of life. And it was really annoying when I found out that there was no diagrams or easy things that are going to tell me how to succeed. Some have taken the world of this book and, and have distilled it down to mere propositions of fact, as if, as if the only thing that you take away from the Narnia world is the dimensions of the wardrobe and the fact that Turkish delight is evil. That's not how you're meant to read the book. Some simply act as if these words are not important. Dry ink on dry paper studied by dry minds for dry sermons. But there's a world to explore here. The Bible itself describes itself as being breathed out by God, exhaled. Peter tells us how God has spoken the prophetic word. This is living stuff. I, I, when I hear those words about the word of God being breathed out, I can almost imagine and remember what it's like to, to hear a bedtime story read by my parents, hearing and feeling their breath as they drew me into the world. This is God's story for us. Read these words and hear God whisper. So over the next few weeks, we are going to be learning about how to follow God. And the main thing we realise is this. He hasn't left us alone. He created this world and he has constantly been at work in it from the beginning, interwoven throughout the history of a promised land and exploding forth as he came to us as the word of God made flesh. God writes his story on history itself. He speaks not only through prophets, but through the events and the things that happen and the people themselves and come along and they tell his story in history. God has revealed himself in history itself and has given us the words that speak of what he has done. He reveals himself and gives us the word that reveals that revelation. The invitation then, as we come to be students of Jesus, is to heed these words by which we know him, that we might receive him and be immersed in this narrative framework. And here's the thing. We could read this book like a literary scholar might read The Lord of the Rings and critique the character development and scoff at the tedious bits and cast it aside as, as some form of 20th century Oxbridge elitism. But how much better would it be to actually get into the story, to get angry at the bad characters, to weep with the broken ones and yell and scream at the plot twists that poke and prod at our own agonies and so find ourselves in Tolkien's world? And how much more would it be beneficial to us to get into the world that isn't fictional? We can come to these words and we can stand over them as if we are a scholar judging them and critiquing them. And there is room for critical historical analysis and getting into the nuances of the original Greek. I'm a theological nerd. I enjoy that stuff. But it's not the point. Here is a world in which to live. Characters and stories, real ones that confront us and shake us and make us question everything. There are times when we yell at the author of history because we want the plot to be different. There are times when we are bored and confused by what's happening. And occasionally there are moments when there's a big reveal and it all comes together. 
So don't read this like a manual. Get to know it as a world. Know it like the alleys and the streets and the valleys and the hills of the place where you call home. It's our truth. Read and remember. And Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of God, illumine these pages, all that we, all of us as we read them, that these words may be your words to us. And may your word, O Lord, fill us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen and amen.